Hello and welcome to the MacFab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing industry news, and fixing broken computers. We're your hosts, electrical engineers, Parker Dolman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 368. And if I sound a little flustered, it's because my uh, PC of eight years now has, I think, finally you know, took the big old crap in the sky and uh, <laughs> it bit the dust right before dust. we started the, the recording like two hours ago. <laughs> yeah, no, three hours ago at this point. Um, yeah, so we like got everything booted up, uh, getting ready to do the podcast and like the audio was being really funky on my end. And like, like ever since I booted up my computer since I got home from work that, uh, today, like it was like acting funny, like slideshowy, um, really, really weird. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to reboot it. You know, maybe there's like a Windows update that like didn't take or whatever. And uh, I rebooted and then the computer never turned back on. And so we are doing the podcast on my laptop. <laughs> so it. it, it y- your computer was doing some strange stuff, and it looks like your SATA bus is toast. Yeah, something is basically none of my devices on my my SATA bus. So like my Blu-ray player slash burner, my two hard drives, none of them pop up on the SATA bus at all. You know, I tried resetting BIOS, did all that stuff, couldn't get anything to run. So I took the hard drive, the the OS hard drive out, and uh, put it into a caddy. Just to make sure, like, maybe, like, the hard drive toasted. I, so I put it into, like, a little, you know, adapter caddy thingy that basically adapts it to USB 3.0 and uh, plug that in. And, yeah, I, I can plug it in my laptop, and it brings up all my files, which is great. So that means my hard drive's fine, and all my data is, is good. Um, and so I'm actually trying to boot the computer up over that caddy now, over USB, as we're doing this podcast. This is this is real time fixing here. Well, we probably won't do real time fixing. I mean, during the recording. Yeah. So I'm trying to. So I have a I have a repair. I made a repair disc, so to speak, off a USB stick, and that's what I'm trying to do now. Is I have the caddy booted up the hard drive, and then I have a a thumb drive installed that has. Um, well, that's not that's not good. Startup repair, startup repair couldn't repair your PC. <laughs> well, that's fun. Uh oh. Yeah. It's 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 pointing towards a motherboard issue. Something is messed up on the motherboard. Yeah, something is not happy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it obviously is not initializing your SATA controller, and. Uh, it 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 seems to be doing other things as well. Basically, just not being happy booting up at all. Yeah, it's it's. Sorry, I'm looking at my other keyboard real quick, so I can <laughs> press F8 so I can get in the boot manager. I I, I, I but, jumped on I jumped on before with with Parker and uh, and he was like, hey, I'm I'm you messing with the computer. I was like, just fire up the re- recording. We'll talk about it as we go. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Yeah, I've certainly so. I've I've been here before. I had I had a computer in the past many 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 years ago that uh, I had I had it in college, and um, it had a really unique issue that I never actually ended up fi- figuring out. So so well, this is this is odd, but I really like things to be cold. So in the winter, I don't usually turn the heat on very much. I'll let my my basement, you know, I'll let my house warm up, but my basement, I keep it really cold. And uh, and back in college, when I had a dorm room, I just kept it really cold because I love it that way. Well, for whatever reason, in the winter, I had a computer that would just refuse to boot if it was cold, just flat out refuse. And so I had to warm up my entire apartment just to get it to boot. Never had problems in the summer because it was always hot. And uh, I had this computer for probably six years and I had to keep the environment around it warm enough for it to boot. It just had something about being cold. Uh, Hardware issues with computers are always interesting. I wonder if that computer just had like some cold solder joints somewhere on the motherboard. Just enough that, you know, 15 degrees or whatever was enough to flex it. It could be. It very well could be. Yeah. Or just a bad CPU socket or something. Yeah. Um, I I took it apart and rebuilt it multiple times just in case, and that never fixed it. That never fixed it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so... um, You know, we might be at the issue where... uh, um, I'm be going in a new uh, computer, basically, um, which is fine. I mean, I was planning on doing this last year, and then end up just like putting it off, putting it off, putting it off, and never did it last year. And uh, it does look like my hard drives. I mean, I have everything backed up, anyways, um, so it's not. I'm not too worried about that. Um, it's more of an annoyance, right? Something a tool that I use every day is now not working. So. Yeah. Well, but it is also eight years old, right? This particular computer. Yeah, it is. is quite ancient. Yeah, and that's a, that's, a, that's a good long lifespan for a computer. <laughs> yeah, it's been upgraded multiple times, though. I mean, that's yeah, it's been upgraded, but like the heart of it is is eight years old now, and uh, it probably just took one too many window updates to the uh, to the head, right? <laughs> What, what what's the average lifespan of just like a normie computer? Like, do people keep computers for longer than two years, four years? Like, what what is it now? I I, I don't even know. I, I don't know either. Um, I try to get. I, this is the longest I've ever had a computer running, right? And and this is not like uptime eight years. Like, I turn it off every single day, um, and all that stuff. It's just um. This is the longest I've ever had a PC like all put together, I should say. Because uh, usually I would do like three, four years, and then I'd build a whole new setup. Um, but yeah. Four one out for... Google's uh, saying four years is kind of the magic number. Um, so it's, this is double. You, you should you should <laughs> expect to change your computer. But I, here's the, the, the difference, though. I think you've upgraded enough that you've done the equivalence of every four years. <laughs> I, I think I think when it's saying this, it's like somebody buying a new laptop every four. Oh, years. like an all-in-one kind yeah, of setup. Yeah, 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 I, I, yeah. I, I would I would guess most people don't upgrade their thing; they just buy it and then hold it for four years. Yeah, that could be true. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. Oh, so well. eight's eight's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. But but you know, sorry, that sucks. I know I've been there. Yeah, it kind of kind of bites, but it's just what it is. Yeah. Well, luckily you were already thinking about doing it. It's not like this is blindsiding you. Yeah, that's true. I'm currently looking at um I I redid like I restarted the uh or uh reloaded the BIOS and it turned it into like the uh what would you call this? Like the training wheel version of the BIOS. <laughs> and I wonder if part of it is Something like in the boot uh, setup for this. Let me let me go check a look quick, look real quick here. I know we're like we're also not like streaming either this podcast because I know my laptop couldn't handle that. Yeah, um, yeah, we're running your laptop complete with everything that we're doing right now. Yeah, but um, but yeah, that's just how how it rolls. Um. So yeah, uh, that's that's our first bit of news is uh, my computer's dead. Um, <laughs> second bit of news, but but Steven. the podcast goes on, right? Yeah, well, yeah, the podcast goes on. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, second second bit of news. Uh, well, first of all, let's just you know we've been saying it every week and we'll say it until it happens. Uh, May fourth, the Macrofab meetup is coming back. Uh, for those who haven't been listening the last, I don't know, six weeks or how long we've been talking about this, the MacFab Meetup is a networking event uh, for anyone, but there, but you can expect a bunch of engineers to be there, and it's just a, a fun place or a fun event to go to at the uh, the MacFab headquarters where you can hang out with uh, other like-minded people. You can hear more about MacFab. There's usually talks. There's usually just fun things to do there. So uh, that's uh, May 4th, so... Uh, put it on your calendar and come hang out at Macrofab. In uh, in other news, uh, so the the uh, place that I've been working for the past five years, we we actually are closing our doors. This is a decision that's been in the works for a long time, but uh, it's it's coming up here soon. So all that to be said, I am currently looking for new employment. So I thought it'd be fun to just reach out to the podcast community and see if anyone uh, knows of anything and wants to share it with me. So if you are aware of any um, any positions for electrical engineering and would care to share that with me, uh, please reach out to me. My email address is Stephen, that's S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Stephen.L.K-R. A-I-G at gmail.com. So Stephen.l.craig at gmail.com. And and right now I'm kind of I'm kind of at a place where I'm really interested in anything. So uh, I I've 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 been tossing it up back and forth of hey, should I should I reach out to the podcast community and see what uh, what people come at me with? And and I'm like, you know what, why not? Let's just have some fun. So uh, I'm really open for anything. I'm actually even open 
to to hear opportunities that might not even have something to do with engineering. It's uh, just uh, kind of for fun. So uh, obviously my career has mostly been in manufacturing and design engineering, which so I'm happy to hear opportunities about that. But if you have something oddball and want to kick it my way, like let's just have some fun. I'm, I'm curious what's available out there. So once again, if you know of anything at your place or just anything in general, uh, please reach out to me, stephen.l.craig at gmail.com. Uh, so first topic, uh, a handful of weeks ago, I don't remember how long ago it was, but it, it was a while ago. Um, I, I talked about, uh, utilizing ground planes in some of my PCB designs, uh, specifically in relation to tube amplifiers. But we, we kind of talked about ground planes in general. And throughout this podcast, I've, I've had a, a few topics where I've talked about different ground strategies and things with PCB layout and, and design work. Well, in over 20 years of doing design, uh, PCB design for guitar stuff, I've actually never done a, an honest-to-God ground plane in any of my designs. And uh, a lot of that was fueled by information so, i got so online. you're talking about like you were doing like star grounds or similar star grounds or hybrid types it's a little bit of plane work but nothing that i would ever con say constitutes a honest to god ground plane so like kind of like well how i do my board layouts where like i have an almost an entire layer that's ground Correct. Correct. I have never, I had never done that before. And, and specifically in my own personal like hobby and, uh, and just my, my guitar stuff in every other design I've ever done professionally. And, and even like all my other like hobby designs that were not related to that. I always did ground planes where it was dedicate a layer or a, a sizable portion of a layer to just a ground fill uh, and and so like I, I I started thinking about it, it was like why do I have these two separate mindsets and what is driving me to do it differently and, and and I can tell you most of it was just doing research online from other people saying hey in these situations ground planes are not the most ideal and star grounding or whatever other approach is is the best so I had always done it that way and I took that on face value and I realized a few months ago I was like why what is it about ground planes in this particular application that would not be uh, desirable and and I just could not come up with a good reason I talked to a handful of other engineering friends uh, about the situation and I even mentioned it on the podcast and nobody nobody could really give a good reason why ground planes wouldn't be uh, reasonable so all this boils down to is I finally got a design in where I did an honest-to-god ground plane where it's just a two-layer design all my signals, all my power rails, all my switching, all of the, that jazz is top layer. And the bottom layer is just a big old wad of copper across the entire PCB. I built it up the other day, and you know what? Go figure. It freaking works. And not only does it work, it works how I would want it to work, right? Like, And, and I'm, kind of, I'm kind of beating myself up a little bit about it because it's like, I took all of these approaches and spent so much time in the past trying to do these like really specific ground schemes that were that I had been told by reliable sources, uh, not just like random forum posts on you know whatever engineering forum. Like, like I have plenty of 
books and I've read lots of articles saying, you know, these methods are superior. I end up doing a, a ground plane and it's probably one of the best performances I've got from uh, PCB tube amp. In so terms how, of how are you measuring that? Well, just just overall noise performance and susceptibility to oscillations and feedback, and in all three of those situations, it it is low noise. The only noise that I can I'm really detecting comes from my signal source, my guitar, because my my guitar picks up noise pretty damn well, so I can tell it's my guitar. Uh, and then and then there's the other bit of noise is resistor hiss. You can you can absolutely hear that shh in the background. And but that that's just that's on a a ground plane is not going to fix resi resistor hiss, you know. Yeah. And 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 resistor hiss in tube amps is sort of inevitable because uh, all all of your circuits are really high impedance, so almost all your resistors are you know way high in value which means your johnson noise is going to be through the roof and then you amplify that up a few thousand times you're going to you're going to hear your resistors just you're going to hear the background radiation and thermal noise of the universe <laughs> coming through your speakers right <laughs> like that's that's inevitable but like hum and buzz from ac sources or hash from your rectifiers and and just like buzzing and things like that is virtually non-existent on top of that you know uh, on on some of some of the options that uh this this amp offers cranking the the gain of the amplifier in in a lot of other situations or suboptimal layouts you could you can very easily get squeal and feedback or weird oscillations or artifacts to come through and on this one it doesn't seem to be there um so 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 like i don't have i haven't like taken a scope to it to see how clean things or are measure like it that. or anything but like, just from like experience with these devices it it feels more controlled overall and and so here's kind of what i've i've come to i've got a, I, this has given me a, a bit of a realization about things so gr ground planes are fantastic but they require they require you think about them in a different way than if you're just running discrete traces. Ground planes kind of force you to think a lot more about your component placement because I I came up with a weird analogy and and follow me on this 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 is weird because we like to use water as an analogy for electronics even though it doesn't necessarily. It, it's not one-to-one, -one, but feel me on this. Let's say you had a large swimming pool and you had two groups of people who wanted to go swimming. You had an elderly group who wanted to just like float around and be real calm about things. And then you had some like rambunctious kids who just wanted to go nuts and like dive bomb in the water and splash cannonballs. around. Cannonballs. Yeah, cannonballs and just go nuts, right? Well, like you're going to want to put the elderly crew on one side of the pool and you're going to want to put the rowdy kids on the other side of the pool, right? Uh, and they don't really mix uh, too well together, but the thing about it is they're both they're all in the same water. It's it's 
all the same water and they're in the same pool but if you keep them on the other side of the of the pool like the kids splashing around can splash around and at the other side it's not going to be so turbulent right it's still going to be generally pretty calm right so put your sensitive components on one side and put your rectifiers which is your kids going freaking nuts over on the other side and even though like the ground plane being the water itself i know this is a goofy analogy but it works in my mind keeping them separate even though they're in the same pool uh works now if if you put both your rectifiers on opposite sides of the pool and you put your elderly crew in the middle like there's just going to be waves and splashing in the middle and it's just you're just going to be in for a bad time so using a ground plane kind of forces you to care a lot about your component placement because you got to care where your sensitive stuff is going to go and where you're going to put all your dirty stuff like your power supply crap and and maybe digital stuff uh or your sensitive analog input stuff like uh keeping that in mind with a ground plane actually matters i think a bit more because you don't get the choice of choosing exactly where your current flows you the way you choose where your current flows is by where you put the components as opposed to uh, forcing the current to flow in discrete traces yeah there's place ways you can this is, i'm going to keep with your analogy here there's ways you can get kind of around that though is basically like like let's say you had a hot tub that's connected <laughs> to the pool right with a yeah. small little area yeah it's still yeah. the same water water yeah 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 but uh you've separated off where like the turbulence is at now yeah um, yeah yeah i i don't know like i guess in you in this design that you've done like you basically made the entire board one whole plane that's uninterrupted and you just like separated out all your components um i probably would have like the really noisy areas is separated them more put them in the hot tub so to speak region of the ground plane and then just had a smaller connection where i that way i, I know i can kind of limit where the current flow is going to be at right you can you can guide it in a way like it, the, the, the yeah. current that flows in the hot tub stays in the hot tub other than the little bit that flows that connects between the hot tub and the yeah, main it connects, pool, right? Connects right. between, yeah. Well, and 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 here's the thing: I was tempted to do a hot tub in and a pool in this, but the whole experiment was no. I want a ground plane. I want to try this with a ground plane, because I in the past I have been doing lots of different things like hot tubs, and I was like, no, I I want to try an honest to god plane. And it works and 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 you know okay so the the thing that is, i'm sure there's people out there rolling their eyes being like well duh but but the the, the whole thing <laughs> about that is it it is it go it is contrary to everything i've been told like if you go to google right now and type in pcb design techniques for tube amps or something related to that you will find so many posts where people are like never use ground planes they cannot work they won't work it's it's here's all these goofy reasons why i think ground planes won't work and and i you know i probably i've been influenced but that for a while but 
virtually everything else in my entire life I've used ground planes and I don't run into issues with them. And and plenty of other engineers that I spoke with when before making this design were like, I don't really know, but why wouldn't a ground plane work? They work on virtually everything else. So the 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 the, the, the I guess the caveats with this exist with the fact that I, I did control some of my higher current stuff. I, I have one trace that carries 750 milliamps, and I I opted to have its ground trace for that not flow through the ground plane. So I sent the positive and negative signal of that. It's just a DC 12 volts, that's 750 milliamps. I sent that to the, the preamp tubes and back on the top layer, but it just comes back to the to the uh, regulator to uh, that that I have feeding that, and right at that leg of the regulator, that's where I dumped it all back into the uh, the ground plane. So so effectively, what it is in the pool analogy, it's like I took an extra little stream of water from the splashing kid side of the pool and just had that separate from the whole pool, and. You know, it's DC, so does that even really matter? Maybe not, but but I didn't want an extra 750 milliamps flowing through the ground plane because that's guaranteed to set up a uh, a gradient, a voltage gradient across the uh, the ground plane. And how much a, a, of a gradient? You know, it depends on a lot of factors, but I, I made the, the choice, like, let's not put massive amounts of current through it. Everything else is very low current, and... Uh, very low AC current. I, I didn't want to deal with that. So I guess in a way I cheated a little bit there. I didn't go full, like all currents on the ground plane, but I, I don't feel bad about that one <clears throat> in, in terms of this experiment. <laughs> so, so yeah. And, and like I said, people are probably rolling their eyes, but having done something due to the internet and other sources saying, don't do it this way for 20 years kind of makes me slap myself being like, but where's the engineering practices? Where's the, where's the, the evidence to back this up? And, and, and my conclusion is, okay. So using a ground plane actually makes things a little bit more difficult because now I had lost an entire layer. And if I'm trying to stick to two layers, I, four layers is no problem, but, but if you're really just trying to stick to, two layers you now have one layer for everything and that's that just makes you know routing a little bit more difficult and then and then it is actually possible to have what i call too much ground uh if if you if you have ground uh parasitics in high impedance circuits that can introduce more issues because then you've created oscillator tanks all over the place right and one solution talk about just like a little bit of inductance and a little bit of capacitance every so there right right yeah okay. you know take you know on something where uh, its output impedance is really high through the roof or even worse its input impedance is damn near infinite uh you know a, a few picofarads here or there starts to starts to add up really fast and you've created a bunch of oscillators all over the place so i i really think that's why people actually say don't use ground planes in these situations because they probably have used them and run into issues in the past with nasty oscillations and things like that yeah and you start 
in that situation, you start like not you, you wouldn't know where to even start looking for the problem. Right, right. Uh, one of the one of the easiest solutions, though, I'm not using ground planes to act as shields. I'm using them literally as just ground returns. So one way to just artificially open things up and get rid of some parasitics is to just increase your clearances around all your pads so you're not just artificially creating more capacitance um and then uh keep your traces at a at a reasonable width so you're not just adding boatloads of capacitance keep your traces really really short and that kind of goes hand in hand with you know the fact that using a ground plane makes you think about your routing a lot more keep all your traces short don't make them as monster as you possibly can uh, and keep your clearances wide on your ground plane. You're already going to keep them as wide as you need to, given your voltage requirements. But make them even wider, and you have less parasitics. And if you're not caring about using them as shielding around things, which I don't think is a good idea anyway, uh, for the most part, with uh, with these kinds of circuits, I think you can avoid a lot of issues. And I I did. I mean, my my thing's working, and it just fired up the first time. It's like okay, great, like. Cool. I now have a new standard on on how I do all my stuff, <laughs> because I, I I can't tell you how how much I would sweat ground return currents and where they went and you know this capacitor is feeding X circuit therefore I need the ground to return to exactly that capacitor and making uh, all of that work is a headache. Well now I mean put a ground plane down, make sure your components are in a in a in a, a configuration such that the currents flow in a logical way and that currents don't flow backwards across themselves. Uh, I mean, if you're doing, if you're, if you're laying out like that, like a maniac, it's, it's just going to be introduce issues. So uh, it's all got to be done logically. Right. Uh, but what's nice is you kind of, when, when, it, when it comes to using a ground plane, you, you sort of do most of the work up front where you're just thinking about where all the parts go before you even put down your first signal trace and then by the time you're ready to lay things out everything is just like click 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 and it's laid out uh obviously it's not that easy but but you do most of the thinking up front as opposed to like in intermediate so mm -hmm. so yay that's that's fun to, to figure that out now so what this does is it unifies my circuits basically unless i have a very unique circuit that doesn't need ground planes i'm just going to use them overall mm -hmm. yeah this is like a uh three four year journey for steven in terms of because there was one uh podcast man like 200 episodes ago yeah where you, you we were talking about star grounds and what we called what the technique you call now is like plunge plunge to the plane yeah plane and plunge yeah plane and plunge and then there's uh like galaxy style grounds which which Man. I've had plenty of success with Galaxy Grounds, but I I have to put a ton of effort into routing them, and it it's kind of upsetting that just plopping down a plane works just as well, if not better, than doing Galaxy Grounds. So mm -hmm. there's there's lots of situations where Galaxy would be the choice like uh, take for instance if you have multiple boards in your design then a ground plane isn't necessarily a ground plane right you can't just have one unified big wad of copper and in fact 
in a way, so so this um, this design I have actually has five different PCBs in it, and mainly the the I have one main circuit, and then I have others that are smaller and contain a lot less, but they're just like you know jacks and potentiometers and things like that that go to the front panel, and I have co- connectors that just hop up to them. I, I have one main ground plane on the main board, but on my other boards, like the jacks, input, outputs, stuff like that, I have different, I guess you could call them hot tubs, that uh, where I just do an extension of the ground plane. So on those other boards, I don't have full ground planes. I have, they are, they, at the end of the day, they still connect down to the ground plane, but in order to avoid ground loops, I don't have multiple grounds across every board connected Mm -hmm. multiple times to the one thing so uh i i did put a bit of effort into thinking of okay when i'm hopping grounds across a connector what is that ground servicing and it only services the hot tub that it uh that it plays around with but at the end of the day it all flows back to the main pool which is my main board so yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and i i guess you could call that a hybrid galaxy approach where (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> where the, it's it's at the end of the day it still is a giant hunk of copper on there oh you don't call those galaxies you call those uh like stardust clouds or something Star- like that nebulas nebulas there you go <laughs> nebula grounds so come back in four years and i'll probably have a different thing that i'm talking about grounding that is like new and unique and special to me and everyone's like i've been doing that for 60 years (laughs) (laughs) all right before we go on to the next topic update on the pc oh yeah i tried to do a restore point because i had one like like 10 days ago that failed uh Okay, that, it's it's sounding pretty bad. Yeah, this is this is so so. I can get to the uh, startup like repair menu now in uh, Windows, which is good. That's good. That means that like stuff is working most uh, like somewhat in the boot sector of of this hard drive. Startup repair just straight up fails. So that doesn't work. Um, system restore didn't work. It like it actually restored it. And then it failed, like, applying it, which is kind of funky. Hmm. Um, so I think the next thing I'm going to do, let's see more recovery options. Oh, that's if I have an image. I don't have an image. Um, is do I try to just reinstall Windows? Because there's that option to like reset this PC and when you click that you can keep my files right which removes apps and settings I don't know what apps and settings it's going to remove but it keeps your personal files so I don't know what I need to do research on like where it's considering your personal files and where those are stored at uh yeah is that like my documents yeah it's probably well no I I mean I would I would think it's just I mean, even just crap you just have dumped on your desktop, it probably keeps all of that too. Uh, yeah. The apps and settings are probably just like all the backend Windows stuff that I'm not sure how many people actually use. Yeah. I, so I bet you I, could just is, get away with it. There is some other things. Because um, I think this, because it was acting like when I booted it up today, 
at the work. It was acting like a Windows update had just like was currently installing or something. Um, it, do, you okay, do you so, think Windows made it crap? I think so because so this is a, something that's newer is in this repair menu. You can uninstall like previous updates or and latest feature update. So I just tried to uninstall latest feature update. And it said, we ran into a problem and won't be able to uninstall the latest feature update of Windows. Try resetting your PC instead. Oh, so Windows bricked itself? I think Windows... I think what happened is it was like something was going on with an update. And I rebooted it. And it just rebooted. It decided... I didn't... By the way, I didn't press the button on it. I, I went through Windows like restart. And that... That borked it. Hmm. Well, it sounds like I you need a try. fresh reinstall of Windows. Yeah. Because it was... Um, it, okay, with the the fact that the SATA bus wasn't coming up, it sounded like a hardware issue. Like something on your motherboard puked. And, uh... But... I mean, that if, still could be it. I wonder if actually it was, like, trying to update, like, the, a driver or something. You know? But, well, but but if you go into BIOS, so you're not even jumping into your operating system, you're just going into BIOS, you can't even see your SATA port. port. Correct. I can't see the SATA bus. So that that doesn't sound like a Windows thing. That sounds like a hardware issue. Yeah, I wonder if, I, I'm thinking that something is up with this motherboard now. Now, I'm bypassing that. I'm using the USB, USB. 3.0 bus. Yeah. Um, but that could still go through the same controller on this motherboard. So, hmm. Yeah, uh, I wonder but what I mean, I should win do. Windows isn't going to update the driver on your motherboard. Yeah, it shouldn't. Especially on a way old motherboard, it's not going to do that. Yeah. I wonder if I should try reset this PC. Do it. Why not? Keep my files, removes apps and settings, but keeps your personal files. He said you have a backup, right? Yeah. Do it. Do it? Do it. Local reinstall. Okay, it's getting things ready. Okay, on to the next topic. I might cry after this. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Han, Han. says, reset this PC. Are you ready to reset this device? This can't be undone. Make sure your device is plugged in. This may take a while. Resetting will change settings back to the defaults. That's fine. Keep personal files. Reinstall Windows. Remove all apps and programs that didn't come with this PC. That's what I'm worried about. What does oh, that mean? All apps and programs? It'll, it'll yeah, dump. all apps and, and programs. Okay, so. Well, everything well, okay. on here is like, it's like Eagle, Fusion, some video games. Yeah. When uh, it'll keep the files, it just won't know that they're installed, right? Well, no, it's going to be it's going to probably wipe program files. Um, yeah, I wonder, I mean, but is that is that a big deal for you? I think before I do this, I want to make an because I don't. I'll, my backup is a couple weeks old. Let me make a backup after this podcast again of the whole drive and then you and can then, nuke it. <laughs> and then I'll nuke it. 
Okay, well, don't do it then. <laughs> don't succumb um, to peer pressure. No, yeah, I'm. I'm not. Even I didn't though, know. Like, I, I didn't know it was gonna toast all your programs as well. Yeah, it's gonna. To- well, that's actually not the problem I have. I, I want to make sure I'm not gonna be losing any data. That I- the, the problem is this computer is eight years old. And actually, this hard drive is eight years old. <laughs> the solid state drive is. I don't know what's on this device. That if I wiped it, I might miss. Like, I don't know if it's if I have it because my backups aren't the entire drive. It's just like, you know, the user files, right? Um, it, this is this so is the, the it the, might the, be some. No, I might you have know what you have. You know what you know, but you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. You yeah. know what? Let's try enabling safe mode. <laughs> this Let's is, try this that. is this is a whole journey here. Yeah, a whole journey. OK, next topic. Um, so th- this was a, uh, a app note that, uh, Bill Chow of Mac. Oh my God. It just rebooted. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> I'm, I'm in, I'm on my windows prompt screen. Wait, you're in windows. Yeah. It's in. Win- Hold on. Let me, let me log in real quick. Hold on. <laughs> oh man. This is the drama is amazing here. So it, so it, like, so okay. Safe mode worked. Okay. Okay. So I wonder if yeah, it was it was it was updating a driver and I rebooted and it just borked it. You have a partial driver. Yeah. You know what? I'm just going to restart. I remember way back in the day uh in in Windows XP land, or maybe this was Windows 7 land, where this would happen every so often, and going into the safe mode, and then just rebooting kind of like fixed it. Well, is there, I mean, perhaps you could roll back whatever drivers were just recently done. Yeah, I, the good thing is going into the safe mode just worked. Um, I just rebooted it again, see if that will, if it will actually come up with everything running but we'll see. Yeah. It's interesting though that the SATA bus is not did not pop up in BIOS. Um that, which still that means does I need to get like a new motherboard. Cute. Yeah. So I I wonder if maybe maybe the safe mode is like rolling back some update or something like that borked because the SATA bus was messing up. Or maybe safe mode always has a like a known good driver that it goes to and it doesn't bring in whatever new fangled driver comes in yeah that could be it but this is this is nice because if i can get in the safe mode then i'm okay i i'm okay in terms of of everything still sounds like i'm going to micro center tomorrow morning and or tomorrow after work and getting a new computer <laughs> yeah i guess the difference is tomorrow morning versus tomorrow afternoon right <laughs> yeah tomorrow afternoon yeah ah <sighs> okay okay Bill Chow. Bill Chow is a uh, test engineer at Macrofab, and he sent me a a uh, an application note that I've never seen before, and he's never seen before. Um, and what this app note is, it's by TE Connectivity, and it is venting of sealed and parentheses washable relays that have vents provided. And what's interesting about this app note is basically it says 
almost every sealed relay that's so it's sealed for flux ingress or for so you can wash it um in in the manufacturing process and why would you wash it because flux is corrosive so you'd remove all the flux uh, with a water wash um and so they seal the relays uh and you might think that's all good and that's all you have to do the thing is because it's sealed, you actually get a buildup of ionized gas caused from the arc breaking and making inside these relays, and it builds up and causes premature failures of relays. And so you have to open up the vent on the on relays. And you look at like all these sealed relays, and the, the data sheets for these sealed relays don't mention this. Right. It's in this like random application note that is just out there on TE's website. Man, I remember being back at the fab, just going through data sheet after data sheet, looking for washability of components. And relays was certainly one of them that we would always go through to make sure that we could or could not wash a customer's board. And I've never seen this before until Parker sent it to me the other day. And I was like, wait, what? Like, this is a thing? And, and there is a feature on these relays that you've probably seen before but didn't know what it actually what it was. was yeah yeah and it's it, it it looks like a what would be like an injection point for like injection molding plastic yeah like, like, like the, they call that the uh, the gate uh where the, where the where the plastic actually uh comes out of the gate into the mold yes um but that is uh that's a different feature. It's like it's like specifically a capped vent, and you like basically stick a small screwdriver on it and pry it off, like poke it off. Or uh, I've also uh, I've seen uh, like needle nose pliers. You can like clip it and like force it off, basically. Yeah. And then you know, so so really, are these washable relays or are these one-time washable relays? <laughs> Which, I mean, frankly, they are like you're literally washable. breaking the case and allowing a vent. Yeah, but that's the whole thing is when you spec a sealed relay now, yeah, uh, because of washing, you need to have an, a, a secondary step that is opening up that vent, or yeah. you're going to have premature relay failure due to ionized gas and being trapped inside that relay. That's just baffles my brain like i've never heard of this before never heard anyone talk about this before i hope someone out there is like can maybe explain it a little bit more we'll post a link to the the app note and i want to know if anyone else's like if anyone else's product they have this like as an, a a post assembly step well, and, and yeah, if you're specifying this and you are aware of this, this is absolutely worth sending your to your CM and saying, hey, I you probably don't know this, but you probably should know this. Yeah. But yeah, this is this is like that's the amazing thing about this industry is there's so much to learn. <laughs> it never ends. Never. It never ends. Yeah. I've and certainly then, um, I've certainly washed relays before and not done this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um Well, wash them if they were if they were sealed. If they were vented already, um usually you put like a piece of Kapton tape over the vents. Right. Um 
or it could be the enclosure itself is not sealed like the 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 body of the plastic you know doesn't seal on the base of it as well um and those you just can't wash um because water just gets trapped up inside of them yeah oh man i got a funny story about that um so i i was working on the uh, relay system on my red jeep and i was using a really big relay to turn the electric fan on and off so it can cycle almost like a contactor and uh i i think i thought i ordered the sealed version or basically the waterproof version like this is actually a waterproof relay but I, I think I forgot to order that that one. Like I was like one number off in the part number. And so basically I got like the unsealed version and then I mounted it upside down. And so basically <laughs> water, rainwater could just go straight into the body of the relay. And <laughs> by the way, the relay worked that way for two years. Like submerged? Submerged uh, apparently until it, it we had a freeze here in Houston. Oh, and then the relay stopped working because <laughs> it was frozen. <laughs> it actually was completely full of ice. Wow! And it just would not. And it, it would just would not actuate, of course, because you know it's all frozen up. Well, it wouldn't um, actuate, but at least it was cold outside, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and so I was like, oh, that's not good. So I just, you know, I just ordered the actual sealed version of it, so it's waterproof now. Oh, so y this was recent that you found this out. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, last end of, end of December. Okay. Wow. So 2022 and, uh, December. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, last topic today. Uh, the dumb aviation plug. So we'll go fairly quick because there's not a lot to say on this, but I got bit in the butt by ordering the wrong thing the other day. So uh, the, there's a a project I've been working on that was supposed to be a quick like turn and burn project, but it's ended up turning into a much longer kind of thing. Uh, so the, for the, this was for my TIG welder. Uh, it's just supposed to be a little TIG controller thing. And... Um, so I, I got this board made up and I go to connect it to my TIG welder and I realize that I don't have the right connector or the connector that was supplied with my TIG welder doesn't have all of the pins in it. So I was like, yeah. okay, fine, great. I have to go buy another connector and then make my own cable. Not end of the world. So I go and uh, research online uh, people saying, you know, what plug it is. And uh, I was told that it is a GX16 aviation plug is what is used with this um this tig welder so you know i just to make it easy i just go to amazon and, and search for gx16 and uh the 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 posting says that this is for a 16 millimeter plug which great okay that 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 seems about right for the the plug that i'm going so i ordered those they come in and they're small they're like much smaller than the connector that i actually need and i'm like wait what the hell so i go and i get my my calipers and i measure the barrel of the connector and it's like 15.7 millimeters or something like that i was like okay i'm just gonna round that and call it 16 millimeters uh and so it's so it's 
We'll say that the one that I have, the one that I actually need for my for my TIG welder is 16 millimeters, but the one I got was 12.7 millimeters, right? Half half an inch, right? Uh, so mm. I'm like, oh, wait, a GX16 aviation plug is not 16 millimeter diameter; it is 12.7 millimeter diameter. It's so like, how? What the hell? This is this is goofy. Well, it turns out that with these kinds of aviation plugs, the GX and then a number after it, that number doesn't actually represent the diameter of the barrel. It represents the hole that you need to cut in the panel in order to mount a connector of this type to it. Even though this isn't even a connector that mounts to a hole. I'm talking about the female side that that connects to the male in the that's in the panel so the connector i have doesn't even match what the hole size would be but that's what the two digits mean after it so i didn't need a gx16 aviation plug i actually need a gx20 aviation plug so a gx20 plug goes through a 20 millimeter hole but has a 16 millimeter barrel on it so it's i don't know the the naming on this stuff is so goofy and ridiculous um, so, of course, this is now delay number two for not having the right thing on a project that <laughs> it probably could be done in an afternoon if I had all this stuff right. So watch out for I I aviation plugs and, you know, learn from my mistake. Now, you know, GX XX, where the two X's, that represents the size of the hole in the panel that it goes through, not the barrel diameter but the no the numbers like a 20 is a 16 and a 16 is a 12.7 uh in terms of they're just not measured by the mating barrel diameter which kind of makes sense kind of uh but yeah like when you if you go to a GX16 on on Amazon or wherever, if you look it up, the 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 posting says that it is a 16 millimeter plug. There is not a single thing on that entire plug that is 16 millimeters. That's where it gets really confusing. When it is called a 16 millimeter plug, I'm expecting something to be 16 millimeters. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. I I feel like in our industry, this is probably true in many other industries but i feel like in ours there's like some guy 80 years ago came up with a standard and everyone who is like deeply ingrained in that like world completely understands it and absolutely makes sense but if you're not in that world it makes no sense whatsoever and the only way you learn this stuff is you either got lucky and you researched it properly or you measured it or you knew somebody who told you or you make a mistake and you never make that mistake again like me uh and i don't know i or or you buy a washable relay you wash it and and don't clip off the vent and your product dies in the field and then you learn right i i do want to know if anyone else out there knows about having to basically open the vent on sealed relays it seems so counter to unseal a sealed product yeah but uh, so so what that means is you have two options for this relay 
you either don't wash it or the whole purpose of it being sealed is for a single wash at your contract manufacturer and that's it that's the entire reason why you buy it that's correct basically it makes assembly easier yeah but you can just put tape over the vent <laughs> right. which is what I've done I've done that in the past yeah and that's probably a cheaper option at the end of the day because then you Could don't be, have yeah. to buy the special version of the relay. You just buy the regular version. Well, I think that's just all, like, sealed for flux reasons, flux ingress reasons. Um, I think that's the entire point. Yeah. So you don't have to tape it. That's just interesting. Anyways, we'll post a, post a link to that, that uh, app note. Everyone let us know. Um, and uh, I'm still... My my computer is doing the like reboot dance now, um, so I'm just gonna let it dance, and uh, hopefully next week I have a uh, working computer. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm on a working computer now. My laptop seems to be fine for recording this. Just we can't stream it on on YouTube, um, which is kind of lame. So, um, that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dolman and Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, Yes You Are Listener, for downloading our podcast and listening to us rant about broken computers, relays, aviation plugs, and a bunch of other stuff today. Um, if you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Steven and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, if you have a job for Steven, let him know. He's in our Slack channel, which you can find at MacFab.com slash Slack. And he gave out his email earlier in the podcast. I don't remember it off the top of my head. Steven.L.Craig at gmail.com. There you go.